Open your Bibles to Isaiah 49. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when He was on earth, He said, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Father in heaven, in Jesus' glorious name, I ask that you will glorify thy Son to these people from these verses, even through me. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the prophets that wrote aforehand, wrote of things they didn't fully understand, let alone the people of the Jews reading this book in 600 B.C. But we are on this side of the cross, and we can see things clearly. And if they should shout and sing for what they could understand of 48 and 49, how much more should we shout and sing for what we should understand from these chapters? There are 26 long verses. I do not want to be long. The value of a chapter is not its length of time spent on it. The value of a chapter is the flow of the verses and the connection of the arguments and the revelation of the person, in this case of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be surprised by any haste through some of these small lessons because I want you to see the whole picture of Him. And so that we come not tired to the Lord's table, but fired for the Lord's table to remember His death until He comes for us. Isaiah 49, God sent Messiah. Messiah is used twice in the Old Testament. It's translated twice in the New Testament. It means Christ, the anointed one of God. It is God's special son, born of a virgin, sent to die a substitutionary death for his people. God sent Messiah, who victoriously saved Gentiles and united them to the Jews after Babylon. Especially after he rose up into heaven and commissioned his apostles to go preach to those Gentiles. Lesson number one from this precious chapter of the Bible. It is the last chapter of the 40s. It is with regret that we may never pass this way again, you and me, with these 40s. But it is no regret to have to deal with 50 next Sunday. 50 is a wonderful chapter. All these chapters are wonderful. But this is a little different. And I hope, without any graphic disrespect to the Lord or His Father, I hope I can show you in the first few verses a very personal and intimate exchange between God and His Son, comparable to John 17, which we were blessed a couple years ago now to have thought of those apostles standing on the road from Jerusalem to Bethany, 
and watching the Lord Jesus Christ pray for them to his Father. Lesson one is verses one through three. God called and enabled Messiah for God's own glory. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The first three verses compose the first lesson that God called and enabled Messiah for God's glory. Don't let the name of Israel bother you yet. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. But I want you to see that this is very personal in the first person, that I and me, the Lord's called me from the womb in verse 1. Now remember, the Lord called Cyrus as well. But this is no Cyrus in Isaiah 49. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus, in verse 1, is also going to say, He has made mention of my name. And remember, God called Cyrus by name a hundred years before he was born. But we have some names of Jesus 700 years before he was born. Yea, 1,700 years before he was born. Yea, 3,500 years before he was born. We have names given in the book of Genesis to Shiloh coming, and to him shall the gathering of the people be. And so there has been a type of Christ, but I don't teach types, and I don't teach shadows unless the types and shadows are identified for me in the Bible. Because once you start down that path, you can make everything a type and shadow. I listened to one of my favorite preachers last night. He's Ian Paisley, and he died in 2014. I wanted to listen to him on Isaiah 49, and it was troubling indeed to hear him take one of these verses in Isaiah 49 and spiritualize the entire thing into a 31-minute and 24-second Arminian Get Saved sermon. It was very sad. He once knew better. Now in 2004, he was 78 years old, so I gave him a little mercy, and I do not want to say anything negative about him. He was a Presbyterian from Northern Ireland, but I loved his reverence for the King James Bible and the way he handled it and dealt with it. And I wanted to see what he would do with Isaiah 49 last night, and I do not disparage him. We do not preach types and shadows. We preach what the text tells us, and we let the New Testament guide us. Amen. We use the spectacles of the New Testament for the old and not the other way around. Amen. In this first verse, in this first lesson, the call is made to the isles. That's to us Gentiles. 
Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. You far away folks, us Gentiles, the Lord hath called me from the womb. I have been commissioned to ministry from my birth. Now that was true of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5. It was true of Paul in Galatians 1.15. But it is most true of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he was called long before he was in his mother's womb because covenants were made with him by covenant before the world began when we were chosen in Christ and so forth. The person that begins here to speak in the first person, we hold to be the Messiah Jesus. Other known options, that this is Israel, that this is Isaiah, or that this is all the prophets, have insuperable difficulties. The description here of this person is confirmed by what the New Testament teaches of Jesus Christ. Everything we read about him here is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul takes two of these statements here and applies them to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. That he is a light to the Gentiles. Galatians, I mean, Isaiah 49.6, the light to the Gentiles, Paul in Acts 13.47 says, that is Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8, it says, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. The Apostle Paul quotes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 1 and 2. There's two verses right here in these verses used by Paul saying it is Jesus Christ. The things that he's going to do were not done by Cyrus. They weren't done by Isaiah. Isaiah never preached to the Gentiles. Isaiah never won the Gentiles. Jesus Christ did. And I cannot spend too long on the technical proofs of that. I just mentioned enough to you that should move you. Reading the passage... It's fulfilled in Christ every clause. No one else can fulfill it. And the Apostle Paul used two statements from these first eight verses about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel era. We don't need more time on verse 1. You can see that. The Lord Jesus Christ in the first person is calling out to Gentiles to hearken to me and to listen. I want to hear what Jesus my Lord has to say. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Who had a sharp sword coming out of their mouth but the Lord Jesus Christ? Out of his mouth went a two-edged sword that we're able to read. For the word of God is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And we know that that is the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. He made me the perfect arrow for his quiver. When in the Bible it tells us in Psalm 127 that children in their youth in the hands of a mighty man are like arrows in a quiver. The greatest quiver there ever was was slung over the back of Almighty God and the shaft that was polished and perfect in that quiver was the Lord Jesus Christ and he was hid in the hand of God, that arrow, and what that arrow was going to accomplish, Jesus was always protected by his Father, and we know this from reading the Gospel accounts, Jesus could walk through a throng that was going to throw him off a cliff because the power of God was with him, and he was protected. And we know that Jesus could silence all their questions and answer them, even at the age of 12, and ask them questions they couldn't answer. 
And we will learn in the next chapter, Isaiah 50, that the Lord gave him the tongue of the learned so that he would know how to speak a word of comfort to those in need. Jesus had that mouth that could give such answers. And so verse 2 is simple enough. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth is the object of God's glory. Jesus of Nazareth did bring God great glory. God Jehovah said these words to Christ by covenant promise in this prophecy of His work. We have not changed persons or prophecies. It is still Messiah in the first person. God was glorified by Jesus Christ many ways, as they both knew. In John chapter 12 and verse 28, Father, glorify thy Son. I have glorified thee, and I will glorify thee. John chapter 17, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also might glorify thee. If you are troubled here by Messiah being called, O Israel, I'll show you. Context is our master. Context is always our master, not the words. Words do not determine context. Context determines words. That difference separates our church. That stated difference. Words do not make context. Context makes words and gives us their definition. And you knew that in around the second grade. Because in the second grade spelling bee, if you got a word like board, you should have asked the teacher, please use it in a sentence so that you would know it was B-O-A-R-D, not B-O-R-E-D. What, what is, happens when you ask for a word to be used in a sentence? You're asking for context. Lord, do not let me waste time chasing this point. But for their sakes, Lord. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 9. Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. Jeremiah prophesied a hundred years after Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years after David was dead. Jeremiah 30 and verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Who is this David in Jeremiah 30 and verse 9? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't need to be called the son of David. He can be called David because he represents everything good coming from David. And that was the progeny of David. And that was the sure mercies of David. Flip over to Ezekiel. Lord, help me not to waste time on this point. But they all want to know, how can Jesus be called, O Israel? Let us not be deceived like the Jews, who turned Isaiah 53 into their prophets, rather than the Son of God that was coming. It is the misuse of Scripture that gets rid of truth and doctrine. It is the corruption of Scripture, and we don't want to corrupt it. We want it exactly the way God gave it to us. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Now Ezekiel was a contemporary of Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah prophesied from Jerusalem. Ezekiel prophesied from Babylon. I will set up one shepherd, so it's future tense to Ezekiel, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. And I could give you many more examples of Jesus being called David. Now turn back to Psalm 24, and let me show you God being called Jacob. Psalm 24, and this is all I'm going to give you at this time. It is Jesus Christ in Isaiah 49. It is Jesus, our Messiah, and he's called, O Israel, to push us to learn how to study our Bibles in context, for us to rightly divide the word of truth. Psalm 24 and verse 6. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Are you serious? Was there a generation in the history of God's church where God commended them for wanting to see the face of Jacob? The supplanter? Are you kidding me? That's the God of Jacob. You say, how do you know? That's the only thing the context can allow it to be. God wouldn't commend them for seeking the face of anyone else. And Jacob was long dead, and his face had cobwebs in the eye sockets. But notice what it says. Brother Chris, do you remember? I remember. Do you remember? Psalm 24 and verse 6. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, O God of Jacob, Selah. So we come back over here. Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. What was all the value of Israel? What was the purpose of Israel? What was the purpose of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah? The Messiah. O Israel. Everything of value is coming through the seed of Abraham, the son of David. It's Israel. Israel can be identified as the source, the nation, the place, the people from whom he came unto his own and his own received him not, he came out of that nation. And that is enough time on that verse. I gave you several illustrations of how if you, if you want to just look at the word Israel and make up your mind by that word without its context, then you need to do that in the other places I gave you, and the entire Bible will be turned into rubble. Because David was long dead, but it, Jesus was called David. Jacob was long dead, but God was called Jacob because he was the God of Jacob. Lord, help us. The first lesson is Jesus speaking to us in the first person and addressing us distant Gentiles that the Lord has called me to a ministry from his womb and has made me a polished arrow in his quiver and he has hid me in his hand to use me at his discretion and to protect me from my enemies and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword and he has called me his servant and that I would be to the glory of God. Has there ever been a nation or a people or a prophet that brought God glory more than Jesus Christ of Nazareth? None and none even close. And so we have Jesus with his first lesson to us that God had enabled him and called him to a ministry for God to glorify himself in the universe and on earth with his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Verses 4 through 6. 
Messiah's greatest success was with the Gentiles. Now these words are our Lord Jesus discouraged in a sense. But he's going to be encouraged by his Father in heaven. These are tender. Verse 4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Amen and amen. In verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I have fulfilled my ministry. I have preached. I have done miracles. And it seems to be that I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Why haven't I been more successful? Yet, in spite of that, Surely my judgment is with the Lord. He knows I have done everything he asked me to do and my work with my God. I know that he has measured my work. I know that he has seen what I have done, that I have not shirked my duty. I have always done what he wanted me to do. It just didn't amount to very much. There was very little success to my ministry. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Though I did not meet with success among the Jews, though Israel was not gathered. And just a few weeks ago, you heard from a young man in our church from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so this verse tells us that though Israel be not glory, gathered, in verse 5, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. My God is with me. My Father in heaven has approved of me. My Father in heaven has thundered from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, even though I couldn't gather Israel to him. And he said... He said more than this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. My son, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Amen. Jesus, my son, don't be discouraged by prophecy and I'm trying to convey the sense of the words to you. Lord, I know that you approve of me. I know that you measure my work, and I've never shirked my duty. But it's been in vain. It's been for naught. 
It's been in vain. I have more for you to do than just to gather Israel. It's a light thing. If you were to take 1% of the population and gather them to me, how would I get glory from you as my servant it was just, if it was just 1% of the earth's population? I also am going to send you to the Gentiles. And that is where you'll be my servant and where you'll bring me great glory. And let's give him great glory right now in the house of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the glory of God. And he came to the Gentiles and he set up a new world order. And now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Jesus made a huge difference in the earth with us Gentiles. He didn't make a huge difference in the nation of Israel. Oh, Lord, thank you for these verses. Look at this exchange by prophecy for us to see. You know, you, you revel in Isaiah 53, and you appreciate the, the things that are said there in 53, but love the things that are in 49 as well of Jesus recognizing that he hadn't been successful to bring much glory to God, but he knew that God approved of him in what he did because that approval was there from beginning to end in his life. But he hadn't recovered very many Jews. And so it brings us to the next lesson. You should be able to understand verses 4 through 6. They are precious indeed. It would have been a light thing if he would have been the servant of the Most High God and only converted the Jews. But to come and convert Gentiles that 2,000 years later are worshiping Him in the Western Hemisphere, now that is glory. I look at each one of you and I say, I, I make this exchange very personal. And with some of you I already have. It would be a very light thing. My servant, my Messiah, if you were to convert the nation of Israel. But I have a greater mission for you. And that is to go after one named Adam Murray and get him and apprehend him and arrest him and save him and gather him to me. And the man's here among us today. Amen. But greater than that, sorry, he said Jonathan Crosby. And I want you to make this personal. It's Jesus and God discussing the, the effect and the success of his ministry. I don't want to go on. I want to have the Lord's Supper, and then we'll preach again and have the Lord's Supper. <laughs> preach again and have the Lord's Supper. Remember the Lord's death till He comes. I mean, what a, what a Savior. Amen. Recognizing, I came for souls, and I have so few among the Jews. I have many for you among the Gentiles. Now, this is prophecy. This is giving you an angle on Jesus Though Jesus had perfect knowledge, this is giving you an angle on Jesus by way of prophecy. In John chapter 10, did Jesus say this? Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And there will be one fold, and there will be one shepherd. That's you and me. That is John 10, 16. But we get these glimpses. How do we deserve a glimpse into this exchange between Jesus and his Father about the lack of success in the nation of Israel with those three and a half glorious years that he ministered to those people? How do we have a right to look in to divine exchange 
between them for our comfort. The people in Isaiah's church, they'd have all gone home that Sunday, stopped at the Golden Arches on the way home, and just shaken their heads. I don't have a clue what he was talking about. Oh, we have more than a clue. We know exactly what he was talking about. Jesus was coming after us by his apostles because he commissioned them. Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul. I wanted to start this service off with Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 20. The apostle Paul testified before Herod Agrippa II in Acts chapter 26. Jesus appeared to him. I have appeared to thee. I, singular, have appeared to thee, Paul, singular, to make thee a light of the Gentiles, to, to, to release men from prison and from the snare of the devil in Isaiah chapter 26. And that's why we believe the gospel today is because Jesus fulfilled his work and God gave me work to do with the Gentiles. In verse 6, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth and Paul and Barnabas quoted that verse in Acts 13, 47. Next lesson. I don't want to go on. I've had more pleasure. How do you even describe being privy to peek through a curtain and to hear God speaking to his son and the difference in the glory of God and the difference in the success of Jesus, King of Kings, is me, is you, is our Gentile church, and is other Gentiles that made the life of Jesus Christ and His ministry successful and brought glory to God. Because God is saying it would have been a late thing if you'd have converted 1% of the earth. There were already my people in Israel, my preserved of Israel, if you'd have gathered some of them. But what about these Gentiles in total abject darkness of idolatry and polytheism? What if you were to save some of them? Now that, that's glorifying to God and glorifying to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Do you feel like you have a little bit more purpose for living right now, this moment? I just want to be the glory of God's Son and the glory of God the Father through His Son. Verses 7 through 12. Israel rejected Messiah, but the Gentiles received Him. Here we go. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One. To Him whom man despiseth. Sounds like Isaiah 53. To Him whom the nation abhorreth. To a servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Amen and amen. Very quickly, Israel rejected Messiah, 
but the Gentiles received him. In verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. When it says His Holy One, that's not the Holy One of God, that's the Holy One of Israel. Because He's the Holy One of Israel, it's just another name for God. To Him, that's Jesus Christ, who man despiseth, the Jews despised Him, to Him whom the nation, that's the nation of Israel abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, He was abused by Herod and Pilate the governor of the Romans, kings shall see and arise. There would be kings that would change and, and, and look to the aid and benefit of the church of Jesus Christ, and they have continued to this day. Queen Elizabeth in England. King James I in England. Constantine himself had to change the religion of the Roman Empire to make way for the rise of Christianity. And Agrippa, Agrippa sending Paul with special protection, the Roman chief captain in Jerusalem, sending Paul to Caesarea with special protection. Agrippa sending him from Caesarea to Rome with special protection. Paul having a rented house in Rome because of the Roman government. These are, there's so many illustrations, but just grab the fact that there would be a change. He would be abused like a servant by rulers. He died a crucifixion death as a servant, slave death. A poor man's death by the Romans. But kings would see and arise. Princes also shall worship. The Ethiopian eunuch served the queen of Ethiopia because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. The Lord God would bless the Lord Jesus Christ to be mighty and to be successful, even kings acknowledging his presence. Thus saith, and then the verse 8, Thus saith the Lord in an acceptable time, Lord Jesus Christ, I have heard thee. My son, I have heard thee. My son, I will bless thee. The Apostle Paul takes the first half of this verse and applies it to the times of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. A covenant of the people. When you go read the words of Zechariah and Mary and the angel to Zechariah, about the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill the covenant with, with Israel. He established the earth. This earth was a bunch of chaotic nations in warfare against each other. They hated the Jews, and they worshipped a polytheistic conglomeration of gods, and God established the earth that monotheism began to reign in various places as the underlying influence in society throughout the whole world as Gentiles were converted to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. He established the earth. It was a mess. It was rubble. No one had spent any time on it. He had winked at everything they had done for 4,000 years. But it was no longer a time for winking. He was going to establish truth. Not everyone. Listen, when the Bible speaks about him establishing the earth, he established his kingdom throughout the earth, and his kingdom has had an influence on all countries. This is hard for you to appreciate, and maybe it's not even worth saying. Where do you think the Muslims got their religion? Where do you think they got it from? Muhammad was a traitor. He had to deal with Christians and Jews. He took some Jew stuff and he took some Christian stuff and invented his own religion. Do you know what he calls us? The people of the book. He knows. We're Bible Christians. We're the people of the book. He established the earth because it was a mess. 
He had winked at their sins. No more. He sent his apostles. He turned the world upside down. And if you flip back to Psalm 2, which we have, were, were to have considered last evening and which a brother mentioned to us in the pulpit just a little while ago, Psalm 2 and verse 8, Ask of me. Conversation. Jesus to God. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Here we are, we're an uttermost part of the earth, and we're His possession. He owns us, and we're gladly His. From Psalm 2, 8, ask of me, and I'll give it. Isaiah 49 and verse 8, in an acceptable time have I heard thee. God addressing Jesus back, I've heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and I will give thee to establish the earth and to inherit those places that Psalm 2 and verse 8 described. Verse 9, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. What did Cyrus say? Jews, go forth. What did Jesus say? Go forth. Cyrus, go forth. Out of Babylon to go a thousand miles back to pitiful little Jerusalem in this world. Jesus, out of Satan's palace to inherit eternal glory Amen. as a son of God in heaven. Go forth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Cyrus. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. I've got light out here. Come out here and show yourselves. I've got light. I'm the light of the world. Come out here and I'll give you light. They shall f the rest of this is Jesus as the great shepherd. Listen to these words. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. Why? Because they have a shepherd taking care of them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. I'm going to level the mountains. I'm going to make the high places. I'm going to bring them down, and I'm going to exalt the valleys so that I have a super high-speed international highway to come to Mount Zion. Behold, these shall come from far. That's the east, because east is left out here. And lo, these from the north and from the west and these from the land of Sinem. So here we are, we're saying, we've come. We've come from the far west. Because there's four directions on the compass that are here in this verse, Isaiah 49 and verse 12. Sinem. The, there was a group, it was called the wilderness of sin. And the people that lived in the wilderness of sin, as early as Genesis 10, 17, were called Sinites. S-I-N-I-T-E-S. -I -I there was also Sin, a city of Egypt. Both of these are to the south of Israel. So this is south because we've already got north covered. And the east that is far was Persia and Babylon, where they had come from and where they had left some of the Jews back there, as Peter lets us know when he writes from Babylon in the New Testament era. There are so many wonderful verses. Do you remember Isaiah 11? When you go over to Isaiah 11 and verse 10, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, to which shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts. The envy of Ephraim shall depart. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west, they shall spoil them of the east together. The Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, 
and there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria. It just goes on and on to describe this super international highway that some are going to be able to say, well, these came from Sinem. These came from the north. These came from the west. And these came from far off. All points of the compass are covered as we come to Jesus Christ in the gospel kingdom of God's Son. More could be said. More cross-references could be provided. You know, you're, you need to remember the things that we have already covered because when we talk about that highway, it was Isaiah chapter 40. Every crooked place straight, that's John the Baptist's ministry. That was part of the New Testament gospel of Jesus Christ to make ready a highway for the people of God. And John the Baptist made it as easy as it could be. He tried to restore relationships. He told them what they ought to do in their lives to make ready a people for the Lord. And so when Jesus Christ came, those who cared, and we care, and we're, we're, we're 2,000 years late, but we're in God's plan just perfectly before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verses 13 through 17. Messiah saved the elect remnant of God. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted His people and will have mercy upon His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me, because they were in Babylon as prisoners. They didn't see all this yet. Because we have the advantage of this book written, knowing how it was finished, and we're looking at these statements by Isaiah that were looking forward at times, looking backward at times, telling us things that were going to happen, but yet the Jews had to go through the captivity in Babylon. And so they're thinking to themselves, God's forsaken us. And so we get the message that I gave you a few months ago about the love of God being compared to a nursing mother. And here it is. Here's the context. We're supposed to be singing and joyful and break forth into singing in verse 13. But Zion said in verse 14, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. I don't see all this goodness. Here's the Lord's answer. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste. Thy destroyers and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. So here's another little lesson. Break into singing because God has great things planned. And if someone objects by saying, I don't see it, it's not very good yet. We're still in Babylon. We're back in Jerusalem and it's pitiful. Antiochus Epiphanes is ravaging the city. He's ravaging the temple. It doesn't look very good yet. And the Lord says, can a woman forget her sucking child? No. Yes, she might. But I won't is what he says in 15, I have you graven upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. I am constantly and always thinking about your situation, and I will protect you, and I will provide for you. Thy children shall make haste. Your family going into the future is going to prosper. Thy destroyers, the Babylonians, and they that made thee waste shall go forth of thee. There's going to be a great separation. I'm going to do some segregation. 
I'm going to segregate your tormentors, the Babylonians, and destroy them with the Persians, and your children are going to return to the, to the city of Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild a temple, and the desire of all nations is going to come, and he's going to be a shepherd of the sheep, and he is going to reestablish his covenant with the people and be a light to the Gentiles. Verse 18, God would use the Gentiles to favor his people. Verse 18, lift up thine eyes round about. Stand and look at all your neighbors back in Judah. One tribe left, 45,000. Remember all the big numbers that you read about in the Old Testament of the wars? 45,000 went back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he's telling them, look around. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to combine Jews and Gentiles into one church and they're going to be big, strong, and wealthy, and they're going to take care of you. When Paul crossed the Mediterranean Sea and went a thousand miles away to the north, to Corinth, and to Philippi, Macedonia, and Achaia of Greece, and he raised sums of money, who were they for? The poor saints in Judea. It's just beautiful. And we've, we've already met some of this before, but here we have it. Here we go. Jews, look around and look at all your Gentile neighbors. Here's what I'm going to do. Lift up thine eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all, as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. Gentile nations. For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these? Seeing I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro. And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders, and kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Don't you be ashamed and worried about how pitiful your, the future of your nation looks? I want you to look around at the surrounding nations because all of them are going to get together and want to help you. They're going to come to you. You will not have to go to them. They're going to get together and come to you. This is the conversion of the Gentiles indicated in the first verses of the chapter. Very easy to understand. Don't be intimidated by those foreigners anymore. Those foreigners are going to be your friends. And I want you to deck yourself with them. I want you to use them as your adornment. The gospel was first preached to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost part of the earth. Right, and they were to deck themselves with these Gentiles and all the help that they were going to offer them. That's verse 18. The, this, this waste and desolate places, you look at Judea. It's pitiful. 
It was rubble. It, it was a wasteland. But in the gospel church kingdom of Jesus Christ, it was filled with so many people wanting to hear the truth of the gospel that they had to say, it's too narrow by reason of the inhabitants. We have a population explosion going on in the kingdom of God. Do you see that? It's a population explosion in the kingdom of God because of the Gentiles being brought in. And they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The Babylonians are far away. The Assyrians are far away. There's no enemies. There's just these people that want to hear the message that you have from your Messiah. When Paul preached in Antioch of Pisidia, in modern-day southern Turkey, what happened? The whole city came out to hear him. The, the, the Gentiles believed on him in mass. Everywhere Paul went, he left churches. And some of those churches were very significant in size. And so, from a perspective of a prophet, looking at the kingdom of God, having been wasted by Nebuchadnezzar, 70 years in captivity in Babylon, brought back, pitiful, Antiochus makes a wreck of them, yet, looking through from the eyes of a prophet, these foreign nations, all those nations around you, are going to want to hear the message that you have by way of Messiah, and there's going to be a population explosion, and you're going to say, this is too small of a place to house all these. That's why they needed the Carolinas. Verse 20, the children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other. You're going to lose children by Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers. You're going to lose children in Babylon, but you're going to gain children of Gentiles coming to you. It's going to be one big happy family in God because God put the Jews and the Gentiles together. And they're going to say, the place is too straight for me. It's too restrictive. We need something bigger. And so it's the prophetic language telling them the gospel church would explode in size by Gentiles. And it did. You know, how many were there in the upper room? 120. How many came out when Paul preached his first recorded sermon? I said, the whole city. Then thou shalt say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these? Here, here's the prophet looking forward, and the Jew is saying, Where in the world did all these kids come from? How can this huge family be here? I lost my children. I've been moving around. I've been desolate. I was hauled off to Babylon. Everything's been wrecked in my life. Who brought up all these kids? The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You say you're spiritualizing. You bet I am. You know why I'm spiritualizing? Because Paul spiritualized verse 6 in Acts 13, verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and because the first six verses told me this is about Gentiles being converted. It's so simple and so easy. I was left alone. I was, I was alone in this prophetic view looking forward. We were just a few of us in Babylon. But now there's so many. Where had they been hiding? Do you see the word? Where had they been? Where was this huge population hiding? Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people, 
and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. The Jews and the Gentiles are going to come together for the kingdom of God and its establishment in this world. The Jews first, then the Gentiles, then the Gentiles much greater than the Jews. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, Gentile kings, and their queens, Gentile queens, thy nursing mothers. I mentioned a couple of them. And they're going to bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. They're going to do anything they can for the kingdom of God. And they... And they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. If you look toward the future and you can't see things good, in this prophecy of what the Messiah was going to do for God's glory, you will not be ashamed if you trust in him and wait for him. So the Jews respond. The, uh, an unbelieving attitude, an unbelieving idea responds this way. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? Or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord. Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. And I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. And so for three verses, it goes back to the deliverance from Babylon, because... Without the deliverance from Babylon, there is not a temple in Jerusalem. Remember, Cyrus said, God hath charged me to build him a house. And without that house in Jerusalem, there wasn't a place for Messiah to come. And the desire of all nations came there as an infant, as a 12-year-old, and as a 33-year-old. And he tore the veil in twain from top to bottom and gave peace in that place. These verses right here, Lord, Isaiah, how can this happen? How can pray be taken away from the mighty. Have you ever tried to take food away from a dog? Have you ever tried to take a lamb away from a lion? How can prey be taken from the mighty? The mighty is Babylon. Or the lawful captive delivered. The Jews were in Babylon lawfully because they had broken God's law and they were there in the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26. So how in the world can we be saved? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away. I'm going to let them eat themselves and drink their own blood, as verse 26 describes. Because remember, the empire of Babylon was made up of all those nations. And one of those little nations that was a little province of Babylon was named Persia. And Persia ended up eating Babylon and devouring it. And so they devoured themselves. And I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Those Babylonians that have abused you for 70 years, now it's my turn to contend with them that have been contending with thee. And so ends the 1040s of the book of Isaiah. And it brings us to Jesus Christ, and from chapter 50 through 66, 17 more chapters, there's greater emphasis on Jesus Christ than we have seen thus far. This is Jesus in the first person, seeing his success was very little, vain not in his words and god said it would be a little thing if you were to convert my elect remnant only from israel i'm going to send you to the gentiles and there's going to be so many of them that the jews are going to say there's not enough room for us all and so it's going to fill the whole earth and the jews looking forward at this tremendous event or the prophet looking forward said where did all these children come from where have they all been hid 
They've been hid among the dark, idolatrous Gentiles for 4,000 years, and God called them out, and we are part of them. And we have a Bible that we still call the King James Version because a king became a nursing father to us and gave us a Bible in our tongue to get rid of all the competing Bibles back then. In verse 8, In an acceptable time have I heard thee. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. That's not a 24-hour day. That's the era of salvation. That's the gospel era of the New Testament. And I will preserve thee. I will keep you alive to the cross and give thee for a covenant of the people. I'll raise you from the dead. You will call and charge your apostles to go into the world. They will establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. You have asked of me, and I have given you the heathen for your inheritance. And these heathen in this room now get to come to the Lord's table and remember him who died for us because he was sent for us and to us by God his Father and to establish a covenant with us and establish our earth. Is our earth pretty established? Are our feet on solid ground? Do we know where we stand? Do we know the truth? Have we been given light? And he has said to us, go forth, prisoners. And he has said, show yourselves, because he's had light for us. How does Jesus Christ bring glory to God? He came into this world and laid down his life for us. And we celebrate the death of his son right here, this way, and it brings glory to God. Because Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also might glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And so goes John 17. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.